Hey gang, Tony Bryan here with you in the off season for the very last time. We we had thought we'd really hoped that we were going to bring you season two, episode one, today, right now, in this space, but we couldn't uh, for various reasons. Maybe we'll go into them at some point, but you know I'm not going to sit here and monologue about them. I'm sitting here by myself. Uh, the chair where you would normally hear Victor coming from is empty. It's just me in this quiet studio for the most part. Anyway, uh, off-season, next week we promise new new episode, season one, two, episode one. Very excited. Uh, already done a couple interviews for the new season now. We are very, we're, we're chugging along. Just need one more week and we'll be back with you uh, with new episodes. Today, one more bit of bonus content that we dug up out of the archives for you. Uh, this goes all the way back to some of the early episodes, you might remember. Uh, we went, one of the first things we did is we went to Moorhead to... Moorhead State University Space Science Center, and there we met with Dr. Benjamin Malfris, a bunch of his staff members. We got a whole tour of the Space Science Center, and I, I actually just kind of left the recorder on for a lot of that. Uh, you you would have heard some of this before, obviously. That's what we're doing here in this offseason is giving you longer versions of things we've played before. But uh, this is the tour, the full tour of Moorhead State University Space Science Center that we took earlier this year, or, or sorry, last year now. Uh, and hopefully we will go, be going back there because they, uh, the Lunar Ice Cube that you'll hear us talking about, they're about that's about to get launched. Uh, there's a whole mission for that coming up in the next few months, and we hope to be able to bring you some details of that. We're pretty excited about it, so we, we're glad to be able to have one more week and have one more little bite at this to be able to bring you this one more thing. Here's our, uh, here's our tour of Moorhead State University Space Science Center, and we will see you next Tuesday morning, Season 2, Episode 1, Bluegrass Homefront. We'll see you then. Take it easy. And as my friend Victor would say, toodles. This is an engineering model, but it's exactly like a flight model, and you can hold it. That's awesome. And it's kind of supported by the bottom. Okay. It's about a million dollars worth of hardware, so please don't drop it. Okay. <laughs> some of them are hold it. Some no, are he's like not allowed it. I'm okay, too. I'm very clumsy. That's okay. Listen, you <laughs> might not get a whole satellite for another few years. So, so Isaiah's a little bit more of a... Uh, Science person than I am. Okay. Uh, his his mom is a more of a. Hey boys. She, she's a real. Yeah. Well, now turn the, the sexy side toward the camera here. So oh, okay. The that was yeah. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. yeah. But my wife's more of a science math person. Okay. I, I managed to find a really intelligent woman. Uh, that's awesome. So. You hang out with your with your dad there, yeah. Isaiah. So he he's got a little bit of that. I was Come around on this side so I can actually see you. I was looking at the supposed sexy side. It's yeah. This side. It's this yeah. side, dude. I know. And you got to hold it. That's that's the deal. Let's let Isaiah hold it here. Hold it there, son. Yeah. You won't have it. There you go. See, you know how to do this already. Look at that. Look at that. So some of them are, you know, loaf of bread size and some of them yeah, are a bigger. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, now that everybody else has, I guess I will too. It seems like it would be heavier, dog. Well, you're limited to. Uh, 
two, uh, 2.4 kilograms per unit, and the unit is 10 by 10 by uh, 10 centimeters. Okay. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. Are so those battery cells I'm seeing? Those are batteries. Those are lithium-ion batteries. Okay. Yeah. They're not like C's or D's. They're not, those look like double A's. They aren't double A's, are they? So they're the same batteries that you'd find in an electric uh, car. And they're similar to the ones in, uh, like if you took a 18 or 20 volt uh, power drill uh, battery pack apart, it's the same kind of, it's the same chemistry of batteries at least. Has that thing but actually been in space? No, this one hasn't. So when you build one, you actually build two, because they're only a million or 10 or 15 million dollars each, right? Oh. So, <laughs> Not to have a backup. Yeah. So you build two, and uh, one flies in space, and then one stays on the ground in a laboratory so you can test it. So when you want to test, uh, upload new software corrections, or if something, or when something goes wrong, you can test it on the engineering unit. So you build two, one's called the engineering unit, which is this guy, and then the flight unit. But they're identical, they're exact twins. Uh, the only difference is the flight unit service that's why you can use them for show and tell. So the, the actual what, what orbited in 2012 that's now exactly. decommissioned. Yep, exactly. By, and I take it by that it means turn to plasma basically. That, on that's right, yeah, on re-entry <laughs> that's how we dispose of them typically. Although we got one going to the moon that's disposition is going to yes. be different because we get to crash it into the moon at the end. Ooh, really? <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. yeah. Get to crash something so, into the moon. Yeah, but we do the whole thing in-house. We do all the machining. We do build all the electronics from scratch, the flight computers, the attitude control systems. So the whole uh, whole thing's built in-house. Um, the little guys like this don't have propulsion, but they do have active attitude control. So you can see these coils of wire there. Mm -hmm. Those are basically electromagnets, and you have them in orthogonal angles, you have them in three degree, in each of the three dimensional planes. And you pass a current through it, the combination of those, and it creates a magnetic field for the satellite. And the magnetic field pushes off the Earth's magnetic field to make it point and spin, huh. that kind of thing. What about that? So it's just all magnetic fields. You don't have any sort of active thrust. The, There's no... The, the very small ones, you just can't afford the, the volume and the mass. Uh, the bigger ones, I'll show you the one where Lunar Ice Cube has an uh, electric propulsion system. But it's the EP system is the size of this entire spacecraft. <laughs> so, and oh, it's wow. really, really small. Uh, so what did this, what did the, the real version of this, what was its so, mission? So this guy, hey Bob, has a um, X-ray detector. You can see that little block that's a sure. cadmium zinc telluride detector, CZT detector. So this was an astrophysics mission called the Cosmic X-ray Background Nanosat, CXBM2. And uh, it was trying to measure an aspect of the physics of the early universe called the diffuse X-ray background. Wasn't that sort of what you were looking at? Wasn't that part of what you were using the original telescope that's, that we got that's saw right. in '96? Yeah, it's been a long line of research for us. Yeah. Well, so the, yeah, that's the the, the the background radiation seems right. to be the the heartbed of, of physics over it, the last. It 15, is. 20 it's years. one of the greatest. Been Thirty years in the making, Brian. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's right. How long have you taught here now? Yeah. When did you come? You hadn't 1990. been. 1990. 1990. Yeah. Oh, so you had already been here five or six years when we took your class. Yeah. Yeah, so I was trying to remember when it was mid '90s. When yeah, it was not the fall of '96 is okay. when we took descriptive yeah. astronomy. I made 108 percent, which is the highest percentage <laughs> I ever made in any class ever. 
Excellent. You set the bar. I did. I was, oh, and, and I was impossible for six months after because I was like, did you know? I was like, you know, when, when an eight-year-old discovers physics, I was yeah. just, did you know That's this great. thing? And uh, work cloud know, and... Uh, We've had thousands of students, but, you know, I, of course, remember you guys because we, we were buddies. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, certainly what, after. Isaiah but, figured out earlier, he was like, oh, you were actually friends with Dr. Raffers. <laughs> I was like, yeah. yes. Because I was telling him about your house and stuff, and he yeah. was like, you've been to his, yes, Isaiah. Lots. <laughs> yeah. yes. We went to his house a few times, you know. Spent the night there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or just sort of woke up there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Huddled yeah. up in the corner more than yeah. once. We had, yeah. we had sleepovers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was really good old days. Well, oh, my gosh, I tell you. So yeah. how did you get that one into orbit? The the the. So, yeah, we're kind of like the barnacles of the space industry. We tag along. you got to have a really giant rocket. So it's mm -hmm. usually NASA, sometimes European, sometimes the Russians. So we've flown six missions so far, uh, two with the Russians, one with the Europeans, and the rest with NASA. No SpaceX yet? No SpaceX yet. Um, no. Uh, SpaceX only generally goes right now to the International Space Station, which oh. is only about 400 kilometers up. Not high enough for Not your work. Not high enough for the, this kind of work, yeah, exactly. Um, I think uh, we did fly an experiment on station, but I think it was a... Um, I think it was a it was a Delta that flew it, not not SpaceX. Uh, yeah, so no SpaceX yet. The R Russian launches have been interesting because uh, I've, I've gone over a couple times. And I was like, you go to their actual complex and yeah, I spent 21 days in a Russian Strategic Missile Forces facility. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Seems like I remember you shared a picture. Yeah, from yeah. St. Petersburg or was it Moscow? Well, so probably Moscow. Moscow yeah, yeah. in Russia, if you. Well, you, it, it, back when the world was normal. Yeah. <laughs> back when yeah. you could go places yeah. and do things. A couple times a year. When Americans were welcome to worldwide. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah there was some of that. Although in the space uh, industry, uh, we still collaborate very closely with the Russians. So uh, i got a lot of collaborators. Uh, in, uh, well, Russia's been on the space thing. They beat us to orbit, they put the first human in space, yep. they put the first woman in space, the first animal in space. I mean, they're, they were eating their lunch for a long time. Oh, yeah. And just coming up yeah. with, what's something else that hasn't been in space yet? Let's send it up. Yeah. <laughs> well, and until recently, we had to pay them, you know, $40 yeah. million dollars a seat to take our astronauts to <sighs> our International Space Station. <laughs> yes, because our, our rocket program just became a... Uh, a minivan to low Earth orbit. Yeah. So we, yeah. when yeah. that left, like, oops, we yeah. don't have We're anything about to else. That, Just about, they seem to be right on the edge. Yeah. Uh, with SpaceX space getting Crew Dragon up and running, and then yeah, and the space launch system is so just nice. right, right there. I spent, yeah. I spent a couple of years living on Merritt Island, which okay. is where, yeah. where, Canada, exactly where Cape where Kennedy is. is. So. Sure. And then, uh, so used to watch, regularly watch shuttles launch and yeah. had that thing at four at 5.30 in the morning where you feel the whomp, yeah. whomp, 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 and there's the shuttle, because the shuttle's back. Yeah. And uh, then got to do the uh, the overnight tour where you camp out under the rockets. Oh, So, which nice. was a super cold that. night. But yeah, yeah. We, we spent a night at NASA. And, yeah. And so we at the rocket garden. Yeah, at yeah. the rock. Yeah, yeah. and uh, basically up underneath yeah. the big Saturn rocket they have mounted on its side yeah, inside. Yeah. yeah, it was a great night. That's so. A great display. Yeah, NASA is just so full of things to see. Yeah, it's cool, cool stuff. All right, well let me pack this guy away and then we'll take a little tour here. Oh.
I wanted to show you what we built because it's a 15 centimeter cube. And that was the first CubeSat model ever produced right there. It'll probably be in the Smithsonian one day, but we have it for now. And uh, CubeSats were invented by uh, a professor at Stanford, Bob Twiggs, and a colleague at Cal Poly of his, uh, Jordi Pugsquare. And uh, together they, they were trying to um, figure out a way to teach university students how to build small satellite systems. And uh, they worked so well that ultimately they evolved into a world, worldwide standard. And, and an actual useful satellite. And a useful satellite because uh, the technology, um, cell phone technology and microprocessor uh, technology, men's devices all came along about the same time. And so, and miniaturized instruments. And so it all, technology all kind of converged and allowed you to do allows you to do interesting things in small packages. That's know. sort of amazing. It's like someone took an erector set and now suddenly we're actually, you know, like getting on the internet with our erector set yeah, devices, yeah, you know. In fact, a teaching tool and made it practical. Yeah, well, that's right. Um, people kind of compare the small satellite industry to the PC industry because, you know, before personal computers, you know, you had to use fax machines and, you know, they were the size of a room. And then, uh, you know, when uh, Apple came along, uh, everybody could have one on their desk and so it's kind of a democratization of space because countries that could never have flown in space I mean if there are you know a few million dollars to build and launch one uh, you know you've, you've got Peru and Bolivia and Lithuania flying putting cubes in space exactly yeah does do they, small want, do they have their own launch vehicles like no that's the thing is lot that, that's still the hardest part is you're still gonna have a honking big rocket uh, to get up there and so um, there's some new players, uh, of course, China, Japan, um, India. Is China headed uh, to the moon now, or did that mission fail? Uh, so, no, they landed a rover on the moon, on the dark side of the moon, far side of the moon, right, which yeah. is in darkness about the same amount as the, the near side. Uh, but it worked beautifully, and they just launched a, um, a lander to uh, Mars. Oh, that's last what Mars I'm oh. yeah. yeah. So The Chinese are trying to uh, win. They are. And not just that. They're trying to win everything. They are. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. I've uh, been there a couple times, and um, that was enough. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you didn't like it, though? I didn't like it at all. There. Really? Yeah. yeah Hard to the, believe. I mean, it seems like, you know, I don't even think they allow color there. It was everything in black and white when you arrived. So um, the restrictions were pretty hard to believe. Like, uh, if you go to a cafe and get on the internet, you know, it's all very controlled. Uh, oh, yeah, city. But the thing that bothered me most, I guess, was um, the disparity between the poor and the wealthy. And, I, you know, it's a communist country, so it's a communist country, but what I didn't realize is it's a free market economy in a mm -hmm. communist-controlled country. And so you'll see, you know, a 19-year-old kid driving a $200,000 Bugatti down the street passing a little lady on a bicycle full of sticks and uh, just Man. that disparity and then the young people seem to have a sense of entitlement that they're you know they're the, the dominant uh, it's almost racist uh, wow yeah fine so um, maybe you shouldn't quote me on that oh, no, I, I, I believe me I, I yeah as a, as, a, as a rule I try not to say anything in public about the Chinese so yeah, don't worry about it I won't for for me to for you to say it, I would have to be standing behind it, and that would get us all in trouble. So yeah, yeah. that's true. So anyway, they're all based on a ten by ten by ten centimeter cube. So that's a one U. Uh, let's see. Yeah. So here's a one U. 
Um, you can't get enough solar energy was really one use, so you have to deploy solar panels and that kind of thing. But uh, that's a 1U, and this guy, like the one that you guys held, this is an early model of it, is a 2U. Which and just means two blocks in that same blocks, kind of exactly. cube. And then you can get a 3U. Um, so I don't have one here, but this is a 6U. I was going to say that looks you know, kind of suitcase yep. sized. And now we are designing 27Us. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so instead of going smaller, we're going bigger. Um, you went small to get big. We went small to get big, yeah. Fascinating. Uh, yeah. So this is a mo early model of Lunar Ice Cube. I'll show you a better one uh, when we get upstairs. But it's, uh, it's our flagship mission. It's about a $24 million mission, I guess, now altogether. Um, it's a NASA mission, um, JPL, NASA Goddard, and Moorhead State, but we're the lead on it, uh, lead institution. So. Wow. And it's going to fly on the new Space Launch system. I was just going to ask if that was the its ride. Yep, that's its ride, Artemis 1. Um, also, the very first very first maiden voyage of the most powerful rocket ever built. It's going to have 13 uh, small payloads. Oh, so this is bigger than uh, Elon's car pushing rocket? Yeah. Okay, yeah, it's good. bigger than the Falcon Heavy. Yeah. But now his Starship is like bigger than well, yeah, you know, but the planet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the but, Starship yeah. is crazy, but it's yeah. not even really, I've not yeah. even really seen one of those little tests yet. Yeah, we're a few years away from, from that. But this guy's going to launch next year. Oh, that's really? exciting. Awesome. Are yeah. they going to launch it off the Cape in Florida? Mm -hmm. yeah. That's almost enough to make me want to go down there. I, was, I think it'll be probably the most well-attended launch if the world gets back, back to, to some normal, kind of normal. Because yeah. it literally will be the most powerful rocket ever built. Um, and it's the one that will take astronauts uh, uh, back to the moon. And, um, and hopefully on to Mars. On to Mars, yeah. First time it's not going to have astronauts. It's just going to test the Orion spacecraft swinging around the moon. Uh, but it'll deploy the 13 small sets along the way. And uh, yeah, we were one of them. So That's excellent. Kind of fun, yeah. And this is CXBN2 here, a model. So you can see he's very similar to the one that you guys held, but he's got a different kind of X-ray detector. Uh, similar mission, though? Still similar mission, yeah, trying to increase the precision of that X-ray background measurement to uh, complement the microwave background. Yep. So yeah, some take are, pictures, Isaiah. Yeah. We can't take pictures. Right? Yeah, you can take pictures of everything because the only thing that is um, restricted is right now in Boston. Oh, well. <laughs> and we're not going there. Yeah, no, yeah. Going I sent an away team there to say so we, our <laughs> propulsion system, which is, you can see it right here, there's the propellant tank, which is solid state iodine. It's a plasma electric drive, uh, but it's built by a company in uh, Boston called Busek, who's our propulsion partner. But I sent a couple of staff members up there this week with our, we call it the flat sat. It's basically the entire satellite spread out on a, on a lab bench sure. before you stack it. And so they went there to drive the propulsion system that we helped design with our satellite system, our flat sat system, and our flight software. So testing, kind of maneuvering testing. Testing, exactly. Because we can't fire a propulsion system here. We have uh, vacuum chambers, but very small ones. And so to actually fire a propulsion system Need, and I guess you, know, you need to do that in vacuums. So. You have to do it in a vacuum, yeah. Sure. Yeah. So it's uh, it's interesting. I got cool pictures of it, though. In fact, let's see. I thought I had a picture right here somewhere. I'll show you a picture. Cool stuff with an EP firing. It's, uh, if, it, it's, if it's firing xenon, it's a nice blue flame coming out. If it's iodine, it's a yellow flame. And we're, It'll be the first time anybody's ever flown solid-state iodine 
Uh, Ooh, really? Selected that because it has higher energy density. But uh, so it'll, it'll be kind of the first. So yeah, I'll show you a better uh, model of it. Isaiah, this is Ryan. It's nice to meet you. Ryan's one of our engineers. Nice to meet you. Yeah. Hi. Yeah. Still trying to get used to this. Yeah. This yeah. Stuff. But uh, Space Tango, so their focus is on flying experiments on the International Space Station to take advantage of microgravity and the radiation environment. So, so they're not really doing work. actually satellite work. They're not doing satellite work. They're doing uh, space systems for International Space Station. But they've done really, really, really well. And uh, my buddy Twyman uh, Clemens, who uh, was a grad student in the UK, when we started hanging out and working together, is now their CEO, and he's uh, are they for a, profit or are they still are they still research? They're for profit. Yeah, yeah, and they're doing well. They've got about forty people, I think, uh, working in the company now. Wow, so, fascinating. Yeah, Twyman's a good guy. Um, he's my wife Jen's cooking buddy. He couldn't decide whether he wanted to go to chef school or aerospace engineering. Well, that was very similar to you, as I recall, because you couldn't yeah. decide if you wanted to be a physicist or a beach bum. Yeah, that's a exactly beach. right. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out physicists paid a little better. Well, yes. <laughs> not much, but a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. So this is not the clean room. No. no. There's definitely a lot of wires here, yeah, and uh, yeah. I feel like I have landed in the middle of a 70s sci-fi series. It's, it's just that uh, aesthetic. There's older equipment, and there's state-of-the-art equipment, and uh, we do a lot of fabrication. The older uh, equipment, here. I almost expect Captain America to bust in and get it. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's, there's uh, gosh, we have O-scopes and spec ends that are power supplies that are 50 years old. This oh, yeah. going to work great. Right. So, Ryan, you want to give us a little overview here, sir? So... I'm one of the ground station engineers. Um, the man who pretty much runs this lab just isn't here at the moment. He, uh, this is where a lot of the RF and the electrical engineering happens. The man who's in charge of this pretty much wrote the book on it. Um, but generally, when things break, this is where they end up. And uh, we attempt to piecemeal it all back together, usually with a very high level of success. But, Can I get your name, please? Oh, my name's Ryan Collins. Ryan Collins? Yep. C-O-L-L-I-N-S? Yes, sir. Excellent. So, um... It's also a prototype lab. Yep. Tell them about the, tell them about the feed. So, a lot of what we do is R&D. We come up with it in-house and implement it. Um, so, on the 21-meter antenna, we have a feed up there, a feed horn. And um, <clears throat> we developed a lot of the technology in-house. And then we modify and fix it as it goes and add to it, change this. Um... What questions do y'all have? We could go with that direction and... Tell them about the Deep Space Network. Oh, yeah, I wanted to talk about that. You yeah. guys are the first external... Uh... So we are the first external node on the, for the Deep Space Stations for NASA. Mm -hmm. um, so you have... We're the fourth one, or we're the fourth tracking station to come online, and we're the only one that is not an actual... I don't want to NASA word it the wrong. Facility, yeah. We're not a NASA facility, but rather an affiliate. So Just a partner. You're Just, a partner. Mm -hmm. Yep, so... But we handle, we do tracking, um, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, tracking, um, carry a lot of the load for a lot of the overflow for what the DSN can't, or what the, what the other stations can't handle, we pick up in that. Uh, sorry, I'm not much of a public speaker. No, no you're fine, you're doing great. <laughs> We're not in the public. So, <laughs> so don't worry is the Deep Space Network, is that a functional network or is that an observational network? Is that looking at things or do you use it to like, run things at Mars or 
you know, is it a, do you use it to run vehicles and, and probes out there? Yeah, or? Yeah. Yep. So it's sort of like the Internet of Outer Space things. That would be a yeah, very good analogy network. for it, yeah. It's so, so NASA has three networks. They have um, the near-Earth network, and the NIN is a group of smaller antennas all around the world, much smaller than ours, usually seven and a half, maybe 10-meter antennas. And then they have the TDRS, which is the Tracking and Data Relay System, and it's a collection of satellites, orbiting satellites, that bounce the data around from the different uh, spacecraft. And then they have the Deep Space Network, which is, there are only three sites in the world, uh, and these are giant antennas, and they command and pull data and telemetry and do ranging for the deep space spacecraft, like, you know, uh, New Horizons of Pluto and the rovers on Mars. And, uh, so they coordinate the, the stuff further than Earth orbit. Further basically. than Earth orbit. So that's what you can think, that's the right way to think about it. So there's the, the NIN that, that uh, tracks the spacecraft in Earth orbit, and about to out about to two million kilometers, uh, and then there's TDRS, which basically is the orbiting system that moves the data around. And then there's the Deep Space Network, the DSN, you know. uh, Space Tango. Uh, <laughs> That's a great. Yeah. The Thurman is the official sound <laughs> of space science, yeah. I believe. I think you conjured that up too. I did. I called, I called him up out of nowhere. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, so we're in an interesting position because um, we have a bigger dish than the Nerf network, uh, but a smaller dish than the, than the Deep Space Network. But there's some new technologies that were invented, like cryogenically cool low noise amplifiers, five years ago or so, that allow us to have the sensitivity to um, service beyond low Earth orbiting spacecraft. And you know, sometimes in life you get lucky. Um, uh, when we built a 21 meter, um, I was still doing radio astronomy, but nobody's going to give you, you know, four and a half million dollars to build a radio telescope. Mm -hmm. That was the problem you were at when you were, I believe you had a World War II era radar we, dish. We did, we and we made the darn thing work. That's exactly right. And so, but we took it as far as you could, right? So you need aperture. And um, so we realized we needed, uh, it needed to have, if we're ever going to build a bigger dish, it needed to have another application that could generate revenue. It needed a day job. It needed a day job, exactly. And it turns out that we had envisioned um, building a big enough dish to do the radio astronomy work, but that could service um, low power, small spacecraft beyond Earth orbit. And uh, so NASA liked that idea. We got funding and built it. And then later the CubeSat was invented. <laughs> so now you're just in the right, you just got right yeah, in the pocket in the for it. Right place with the right technology at the right time. So that's yeah. what I wanted to ask because I noticed when I was, because I did see your, your Vimeo video mm -hmm. uh, about basically what's going on here. Yeah. Nice, nice video about that. Yeah, and I noticed nice. that the, the only thing that was talked about for the Big Dish was the Deep Space Network yeah. and communicating with the cat, CubeSats. I'm like, is he still doing radio astronomy? Not really. I've kind of moved away from it. Um, it, um, a couple of different reasons. One is that uh, there are no jobs out there for the students. In just staring at the background radiation, as interesting as that yeah, is. As interesting as it is, there are too many PhDs in astronomy and no jobs for kids. So you can go to school your entire life and end up with a PhD and two postdocs and can't find a job. And just teaching, just teaching basic physics at a community college. And then, what else you know, can you do? making thirty thousand yeah. dollars a year yeah. after you know you have that much in student loans every year. Right? So it just yeah. wasn't um, the economics didn't 
became unfeasible at some point. Aerospace, on the other hand, you know, our kids are graduating with an undergraduate degree and no experience making seventy-eight thousand dollars a year. That's plenty of jobs, and it's really interesting. Uh, so we applied a lot of the radio astronomy techniques to the ground station technology because we're used to looking at you know unmodulated distant galaxies half a billion miles away, and then you know when we started looking at satellites that are you know 400 kilometers up with bright modulated signals, it's kind of well, like shooting easy. fish in a barrel. Right? Never mind. Why was it? <laughs> but now we've pushed it to the deep space network where it's it's hard again, right? I mean, really hard. I mean, because you're looking at tracking spacecraft that are at the edge of the, uh, in the case of the DSN, edge of the solar system, that have a four watt or seven watt transmitter. And, uh, you know, the energy that falls on the dish is like, you know, a 10 trillionth of a watt. Wow. And so you have to do all these crazy things and use this interesting technology to, to, uh, to collect it. And so we have a niche. So our dish is just the right size for lunar and a little bit beyond out to Mars at low data rates. But uh, all these moon, moon missions that are coming up, we're perfectly Right in the suited. sweet spot for it. We're in the sweet spot. And so the, uh, the moon and near-Earth asteroids is really our, our sort of realm. Which is where we're going to be. Space is going to be for the next That's right. 200 That's years. That's exactly right. Because we got, you know, Gateway, the new International Space Station type system it won't be in Earth orbit. It'll be in... Uh, It'll be a sort of a figure eight orbit around the Earth and the Moon, so it'll be going to the Moon. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of lunar infrastructure, and we're hoping to get boots on the ground again by 2024. Uh, astronauts. Um, so there's a lot of infrastructure being built for lunar, and so we're kind of at the right place. Well, Building the colony. Ultimately, well, I mean, we want to go back and stay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, last time we went, we picked up a few rocks and. Came figured back. out where the moon came from and came back and didn't go back for 45 years, 50 years. I always thought that yeah. was bizarre. Yeah, yeah, we, we figured did. it out and then stopped. Yeah, it was stopped like, doing it. Well, we bankrupted Russia's space program so they couldn't compete with us yeah, anymore. We bankrupted all of Russia. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was that. Yeah. Because yeah. space ain't cheap. Space is not cheap. Yeah. So I wanted to ask, as long as I've got uh, a couple of y'all here. Yeah. Um, when I, I was, I took a, I was at UK for a couple of years, uh -huh. and one of the things I did there was a uh, science communication class, and gave me a chance to actually yeah. oh, spend some here. Awesome. Then when I was retiring in 2005 to move up to my farm in Pennsylvania, he twisted my arm to come down here. Hey, we got a retirement gig for you. It won't be that yeah, hard. Yeah, bullshit. <laughs> it's just nothing but work. And this is way prettier than Pennsylvania, and you know it. Come on now. <laughs> no, actually, it's just about the same. I lived in, a, in western Pennsylvania, and... Uh, we called it Pennsylvania because people dug coal, and you know you could look at a little town here and a little town up there. You wouldn't know much apart, except for maybe it might sound a little different. So where I come from, it's a whole lot like Moorhead. It was a little college town called Slippery Rock, Pennsylvania. That's Slippery Rock. Yeah. The the whole thing like Kentucky people. We we hate to, my my son who is eighteen and and snotty, loves to point out the Kentucky people don't name things. We just describe them. You know. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. That's okay, because it seems like people have run out of names a long time ago. You can find a 
a Lincoln or a Springfield or anywhere. The There's Lexington's all over. Yeah, yeah, a London. A Frankfurt. That's what yep. we do in Kentucky. Uh, uh, Bagpans. Towns after, uh, after uh, European cities. Yeah. Yeah. But then we mispronounce them. Well, yeah. Yeah. Athens and Versailles. That's the only thing. Versailles kind of got me when I first got down here, but that's okay. The one that kills me is Athens. Athens, yeah. Athens is the one that kills me. That me much when I hear people. Yeah, right outside Lexington. It looks like Athens, but no, it's Athens. Now, down in my neck of the country, though, yeah. we got Athens, Georgia. We well, yeah, you okay, pronounce yeah. it properly, Home yes. B-52's R.E.M. <laughs> Big musical town. It was a musical town. So I, I wanted to ask, like I say, I was uh, I, I spent some time at the Macmillan, uh, their optical observatory yeah. on a... On a night, you know, and it was, and it reminded me a lot of when we used to have observatory nights here, when there was like a dozen telescopes, and everybody kind of we're looking at this nebula here, and we're looking at Mars in there, and this and that. And one of the things that they talked about was that optical astronomers are starting to have a lot of problems with the sheer number of orbital orbital devices up in orbit, especially light pollution and the uh, orbital. The small sats, both the orbital debris and the, just the sheer volume of satellites are putting up, they're going to put up thousands and thousands more. It's going to be a real problem. But the radio astronomers are having problems too because the electromagnetic spectrum is getting filled up with all sorts of wireless signals and this and that. Yeah. Everybody wants yeah. more bandwidth so they can download their cat memes faster. Yeah. I do so love a cat meme. There you are. Well, <laughs> as a result of that, the. Uh, we're suffering a little bit in that way, so people are looking to go into outer space for their astronomy more and more. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, I guess that's even more reason to put a, a put not only optical stuff like Hubble up there, but to yeah. get your get your radio and your all your other exotic particle telescopes off of off the surface. Well, yeah. remote sensing from outer space has become one of the biggest things going, and that's one of the main usages of satellites. So if you turn it around and you look out into space, or you turn it the other way and look down at the Earth. It's pretty much the same sort of idea, and that is what can you see from out there. And not having the atmosphere, the pollution, the light, and the radio wave problem in a way is really a good thing. Yeah. And it's another use for uh, the surface of the moon. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. You know, as far back as 1966, there was a RAND Corporation study on putting a radio observatory on the far side of the moon. I have a copy of it. Like an Arecibo big dish. you got craters that, you know. You could just, just build it right in there. And they figured out how much it would cost and two yeah. people there for six months at a time and all that. And they yeah. figured they could do a lot more work from up there than they could from on the surface of the earth. Wow, that makes a getting consigned yeah. to North Pole sound like a dream vacation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go spend yeah. go spend six months on the far side of the moon. Well, I mean, you know, look at the far side. It, uh, it's, it has natural shielding from the Earth, so it's probably the best place in the solar system, the yeah, inner the solar system. Rotate, so. Yeah, yeah so you're kind of locked on what you want to be locked on. Exactly, shielded from you know the hot hot Earth in that respect. Did you catch his name? No, yeah, can no, I get I'm, your name, I'm please? I'm Jeff Kruth. Jeff, can I spell? Can you spell your last K R U T H. K R U T H. This is my Veronica. daughter Veronica. She's, Hi Veronica. She's, she's not a, spoken yet, so she's, <laughs> a, she's a space science major or space systems engineering major. I just graduated high school. Ah. She's about a year and a half into college too, so she, she did the dual course thing. Student staff in space systems engineering in about two weeks. Oh, awesome! Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Congratulations. So, what do you want to what do you want to do with it, the, with your degree? With my degree. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's what I did in my career. I spent 30 years in the defense industry. I still do some of that work. 
and I had a little company near Baltimore, Maryland, and like a good carpenter that comes to fix your deck and brings his tools, this is all my stuff. Jeff asked if he could bring a few things whenever he was oh, yeah. I brought, It's good I brought, you found him a little space, you know? I brought 15 tractor trailer loads of equipment and supplies with me and rigged the place out. And, and not only this lab, but every other lab in the, in the building. Yeah, I was I was telling Doc that for years I have I have bragged that that original Sun MicroStation that they had in the nineties I had a I had a login access to that so I, I got I could get email at I that have Sun pictures system. Of that. I actually have pictures of every place he's been on campus except yeah. the first one in the broom closet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you you did have the science you have pictures of the science shed, huh? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I have in fact I have a whole little. Uh, kind of uh, PowerPoint that I give to people you because time, you have time to show that. Yeah, you want to see this? Yeah. I'm like always it. up for yeah. a, power a PowerPoint slide. Remember, remember these places. Yeah, I was going to say, we may yeah, have details for you. Just so many meters. So, oh, it's cool stuff. One of the things was people would walk in here and say, oh, look at this nice building they gave you. And I said, they didn't give Doc anything. <laughs> he earned all this. So, he sure uh, did. I'm a ham radio operator, and uh, we've had some conferences here for ham radio some along really the way. Cool ones. And moon, so, moon stuff, stuff. Oh, all kinds oh, of things. Well, now yeah. I kind of want to come to that. Yeah. So, well, we don't have them all the time, but we've had a few, and because they travel around the country, so mm -hmm. they've landed here a few times. So I put this together for one of the conferences to explain what's going on here, and so this is it, and it, it was. Uh, Nobody gave us anything. We worked for it. Here's Doc back in the day. You yeah, probably, I think I remember uh, that exact yeah. picture. I remember really. that guy. Yeah, I remember that dude. And then very humble beginnings, and there is it is. There it is. That's and the I tell that people, I was afraid was going to swallow. Yeah. You, that's right. You walk up that step, and you can fall through the floor there. I, I believe I was not allowed to walk up that step. I had to walk around and come in the other way. We, uh, we reinforced it with uh, crating material. The side of a crate, the, yep. radar dish. And then here's all the gear he had at the time. Yep. Yep. And there was the there antenna. There it is. Makes me feel And that, that's what Mike Combs did for him. He put that on there so that it could move in elevation, which was a pretty slick adaptation. And I built all the electronics that went with this guy. That's my box sitting there and a bunch of junk down inside and the building. Worked. It did. It worked. There's Doc and I down at Green Bank, West Virginia. That was probably that, that was probably late 90s. And then they moved them from here to here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, when they did that, they that tore the building down and moved them into the old English teacher's house. I remember that building. And then and the English faculty still has there's, there's the back of it, just so you can see the two places. That's my truck. There's me working on mm -hmm. the feed. And then when they were in the faculty house, they had this stuff. I gave them an awful lot of that. That came from me. I think there's the Sun workstation somewhere in there. Maybe that guy. I don't remember. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, then they moved them from there over to where the the three grad student duplexes were up right. here by the new the new uh, gym and uh, the track houses. When I moved well, here, yeah. <laughs> when I moved down here in 2005, I had an office. That was my office right there. But not long after, oh, there's there's Bob and I when we got him a piece of equipment donated from Comsat. <laughs> and then there's where we moved to the fifth home of the Space Science Center, Regents, which was right over there where that new dorm is. You moved dorm. into the dorms? Yep. We moved into we the dorm. Two floors, and we had, I used the first three floors of the dorm to store stuff. We had some offices there, and then I had so much stuff, we had it stored everywhere. Yep. And so that was kind of cool. I actually lived in this twin, Wilson Hall. 
Oh, really? there you are. Like the first came here a long time ago. Yeah. Well, so they started building this place, <laughs> and they got it ready for occupancy May 1st, 2009. And they said to me, okay, you're going to get an occupancy permit 1st of May. How long is it going to take you to move then all your stuff into the building? I said, well, probably at least two weeks, and that's only if you give me the movers to help me, which they did. And they said, well, as soon as you get done, you call us and let us know you're done. So I think we got done on the 14th or 15th of May. I gave them a call, and the very next day, they were in there with a wrecking ball, and they knocked the place down. Wow. And so every place Doc has been on campus up to this place is gone. Yeah. They've been knocked down. Yep. You can't see and so thing. even the old dishwire, we were cutting it up one summer. There's Mike Combs and Bob and I out sweating in the summer heat, cutting her up. And uh, then there's the new dish, and so there we are. So that's that's kind of the little show I put together for that. That's pretty great. Yeah, I remember a bunch of that for you guys. Memory lane. I can re yeah, I can remember you were excited because you had found the sun with that old meter. Oh yeah, yeah it's like yeah. Well, rock up. First thing you got to try. Yeah. You can't yeah. see that. Yeah. You can't go see nothing else. Yep. And then the Milky Way, and then you go go lower. That's Keep right. stepping down. Yeah. Yeah, oh. oh, thank you, Jeff. That yes, that was lovely. Thank you. Very oh, yeah. nice to meet you. Nice to I'm going to wave because we don't shake hands anymore, apparently. Good luck. One COVID thank days, I'll be shaking hands. Nice yes. Oh, well. One of those things. We'll get back to it. Yeah. I'd like to train the CNC machine and, you know, waves and uh, They look like those uh, in the automotive world. I think they call them CMM machines. Where it comes and like measures a bunch of little things. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. It's it's very similar. So uh, you take a CAD model and uh, import the CAD model and uh, set up the tooling path, and it'll turn a block and do you know some uh, shape that you need. Let's see if I can find some parts to show So we uh, we build everything in plastic, 3D print it first, and then. Uh, make sure that it integrates right, and then once the plastic model uh, we're comfortable with, then we'll start cutting metal. So this is the kind of thing we we do here. You can see it's one of the sides of one of the spacecraft. Sure. But it um, saves a lot of time and effort when you 3D print it first, design it, 3D print it, and then you realize we've actually built, so you see all these plastic models we have around. We build a whole spacecraft in uh, 3D printed plastic. And then you realize, oh shit, I can't get my fat fingers in there to get to a test point, or uh, it's not going to integrate properly. And so you redesign it, and then reprint it, and rebuild it. And so it's usually three or four iterations later you start cutting metal, and it, um, it's a process that saves a lot of time and, and money because <laughs> some of the materials are exotic metals. Um, we use a lot of titanium. Uh, we use a lot of um, uh, tungsten alloys and. Um, uh, usual yeah, yeah, this is the machine shop. This is the one thing that actually looks similar to what we do in our day jobs. This is it the does. sort of stuff. Yeah. That, it's got a lot of yeah, this has yeah. manufacturing is manufacturing, I it guess, is. when it comes it down is. to it. Yeah, so, that's right. This kind of looks like a quality lab, yeah. yeah. So, mm -hmm. um, we do actually a fair amount of safety and quality engineering, um, a lot of testing, a lot of reports. Um, when you fly on somebody's rocket, they want to be pretty sure you're not going to break apart and destroy their billion dollar rocket. <laughs> and so we have to put a lot of time and effort into uh, Q&A and, &A and um, a lot of uh, a lot of testing, a lot of analysis, a lot of uh, 
writing reports on the results of the modeling analysis. Oh, wow. Yeah, so this is kind of a cool lab. This is an electromagnetic anechoic chamber. Um, anechoic. Uh, basically, the word means, on the door, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know that word. It means uh, no echo is basically what it oh. means, but in a radiation sense, not so a sound sense. No echo in here. Yeah, well, in the well. chamber itself. So this is the control center. Well, let me show you actually chamber. There you go. Oh, wow. There's no room. Yeah. So you can step on the. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Here and so like it's not for sound. It's, like this is Disney World. it's similar to a soundproof chamber. It really is. Electromagnetic radiation. Interesting. So you hang the spacecraft here, you blast the radiation from that end, check it for electromagnetic susceptibility. Oh, and I guess this way you're absolutely sure what you're hitting it with is, is what you're hitting it well, with. Well, that's right. So it mimics the, in, the space environment, but not in a thermal or vacuum sense, but in an electromagnetic sense. So it lets you kind of pull apart and check elements. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So it's a pretty unique facility. This is neat. Yeah. Uh, uh, this is definitely where you want the selfie. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> we had a couple of cool labs for selfies. They told us about um, places like this at UK. At UK? I never actually thought I'd get to see this. Yeah, he, yeah. his mom signs him up for the, they do like a, what is that called? STEM camp. STEM, oh, STEM camp. Oh, cool. He goes That's to that good. every summer. Yeah, excellent. Well, they walk up yeah. and play in humongous rooms yeah. like this one. Well, we're really fortunate. Um, UK has some great laboratories. Um, but they are really good at embedded systems and uh, the aero side, like uh, windfoil, airfoils, and that kind of thing. And uh, our area is specifically space and, and small satellite technologies. So we're actually better equipped than they are in those. For in this that, sort of work. For this work, yeah. Hmm. That's pretty great. Yeah. You know, you're yeah. right. We went in a room something like this. Mm -hmm. When that day we went right before the virus came down on yeah, us. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I was trying yeah. to think, I knew I'd been in something like this, and I thought yeah. it was at Disney World, but it wasn't. Yeah, <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty cool laboratory. Yeah. As we're, we're actually in the process of building a home studio, or a, a studio for us to kind of work out of. Oh, wow. That's not just this portable equipment, so yeah. well, we're cool. thinking about these same sort of things. Yeah. I don't think we need to go to quite that extreme no. as far as. Look at your Bob Kroll. Bob is... Hello. Our, Hi, Bob. Our, uh, comms engineers. Bob, these are old friends of mine from their college days at Moorhead State. And they oh, boy. Yeah, we took descriptive, descriptive astronomy under him in the 90s. So Years ago. And you passed? I passed with 108%, <laughs> sir. I tell people that all the time. <laughs> highest grade ever in the history. I did all the, like, I went to, the, he had three or four different extra credit opportunities, like, go to see these things. Just and, so people could pass. <laughs> well, and I went to all of them because I was just a big nerd, so. I, I took advantage of that one. But Bob teaches our uh, intro laboratories and uh, helps evolve the technology up at the Big Dish. And, consults on the spacecraft and things. And Bob likes to build things, as you can tell. I was going to say, I, I, there's no, yeah, that's a, that's a lot of LEDs you got there, Bob. Well, my students have this as a project. So they get to build either this or this. Oh, the, what is that, the, uh, the Empire State Building? No, it's a rocket. Oh, of course it's a rocket. Duh. I thought it was a rocket. They use Arduinos. They learn how to program them a little bit. And then they learn how to do some soldering, and they learn polarity of LEDs. They learn about current limiting and Ohm's law. 
they learn all kinds of things and then the result is they're able to build some project like this. And this gives them confidence that they can do more. So once you build one of these, you can build many, many more. You can do your name and lights if you desire. So that gives you training in the shop, drilling holes, uh, preparing the circuits, calculating series uh, current limiting resistors, and all the stuff involved with the basic electronics. And then to animate them, you can use transistors. I have a bag here of transistors, I'm looking at them. And uh, you can then use transistors as a switch. Excuse me. Well, oh, yeah. actual builds sound system. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's my past life. It looks like you're ready to listen to some music, though. Yeah, but nobody likes what I listen to. Well, I reworked the sound system in the, the Star Theater of Planetarium. I've heard a lot of them in here getting it, you know, just right. The sound system was mediocre. And Bob came in and turned it from a mediocre sound system to a uh, really awesome sound it's system. Mm. Which is a subharmonic bass synthesizer. It allows it to have a little bit more presence. That get that resonance feel in the chest kind of thing? Uh, Gotcha. <laughs> I remember the day you played a rocket launch in the high bay. It yeah, really felt like you were there. Base bands. Yeah. yeah. We played it at volume pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty sweet. Yeah. Well, thanks, Bob. Yeah, this is great. Along here. Nice to meet you, sir. Thank you so much. Bob Bob the Builder. Bob the Builder. Hey, that's right. Bob the Builder. Love it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. So this is the spacecraft integration and assembly facility. It's our secure lab. Wow. Oh, yeah. So we got like three stories up here? Yeah, we, well, two stories. So we have the, the main um, vehicle assembly uh, bays here, and then a small electronics uh, clean room, and then two smaller dedicated clean rooms. Yeah, are these clean? Is this a clean facility we're looking at it here? Is, yeah, yeah, this is, uh, this is class uh, 10,000, and the others are class 100,000. So this is the cleanest of the clean that we have. We can go down to class 1,000, but we don't need to. Um, not a whole lot to see right now because it just we shipped it all to Boston to run the propulsion experiment. But uh, you can see two spacecraft that, uh, yeah. that are mm -hmm. operational right there. Um, that's a 3U on the left and a 2U on the right. And then there's some parts for the lunar ice cube uh, spacecraft here. You can see the solar array, one of the solar arrays right there. And then you can see the chassis, the black box is the chassis for that spacecraft. And the rest of it's kind of uh, actually coming back from Boston right now. Um, yeah, so the, the different areas are for assembly of different components. And then this big bay here is where the entire spacecraft comes together. That's pretty great. Yeah. the coolest facility. There's 
so this is, uh, NASA gives us a bunch of stuff just to play with, and this is an old uh, satellite engineering model for a tethered experiment that they gave us. Uh, oh, so this was their engineering model like you described Exactly, earlier, yeah. Though. And so they let us, uh, they know we like to take things apart and figure out how people did things. So they um, often give us stuff like that. Uh, this is kind of a cool lab. This is our surface map technology lab. So you've seen all the electronics. Uh, the little boards are really, have really, really tiny parts. And it's all surface mount. So what we'll do is we'll design the electronics board and have the PCB spun somewhere, and then we bring it back here and um, put all the electronics on uh, by hand, essentially. And it's all done under microscopes with little tiny tools. Um, Do you actually solder? Do you have like yeah. Oh, yeah, a little tiny micro soldering. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Um, in fact, if you look at these reels, those are the parts, the electronics parts, the resistors, the transistors, capacitors, that kind of thing. If you look, there's a, there's a little dot that's the index, and then a little tiny dot next to the index, those are the parts. Wow. So they're so tiny, like oh, size O1s and O2s, I literally can't see with, with my eyes. I can feel them if I hold them, but I can't see them. So. That's crazy. That is yeah. tiny, tiny, tiny. And some students get really good at it. Uh, some students do not like the micro-assembly. <laughs> it's very tedious. I bet. I would be good at that. Is this yeah. a Faraday cage? It is a Faraday cage. That's exactly right. Uh, Faraday cage for uh, EMIMC, which is electromagnetic uh, interference and electromagnetic conduction. So when you build your electronics um, yourself, uh, you're, you have to characterize the noise. When, when you have uh, currents flowing through all the electronics, it generates noise, and that could crosstalk with it. So this spacecraft are so tiny, uh, you get everything working out on the flat sat version, and then you stack it, and nothing works again. And it's because it everything is so close out. in proximity that you get a lot of interference. And so, uh, you know, DC conductivity, RF interference. And so we go to great lengths to try to test all the subsystems before we stack them. I and guess so, every little source of, of electromagnetic frequencies or radiation or anything could wreak yeah. havoc with a satellite that small. They can, and also on the rocket. So, like, when we get a, um, a ride, uh, all the quality assurance testing that's required you have to have EMC, EMI reports, EMC reports, vibe, uh, um, thermal back. Um, the batteries have to go through an extraordinary amount of tests. There, um, so for Lunar Ice Cube, there are 137 verifications for the rocket, and about 45 more for the um, uh, for the integration activities, and then uh, the um, Analysis for the um, uh, the rocket integrators. There are about another 40 or so of those, and each one of those is a a, a test or a model and a report. So, literally, when you when you fly, you um, present more volume of paperwork than you do satellite. <laughs> more dead trees than yeah. tungsten. Yeah, more dead trees. That's right. Mostly electronic now. But so these are some more test facilities. This is a thermal vac uh, chamber. So you put the spacecraft in there, pull a vacuum on it, and thermal cycle it. It has liquid nitrogen to cool it down and um, a thermal platen to heat it up. So if it's in Earth orbit, it's you know 90 or 100 minutes. It's heated and cooled and heated and cooled constantly. Basically to the temperatures of what they would expect to see in orbit. Exactly. Yeah. And then some. And then some. <laughs> you always have to add margin. Uh, 
uh, 1.4, 1.5 times uh, uh, the margins that you expect. Um, we can also do residual gas analysis because things change their chemistry in space. And so whatever outgasses you can actually measure and run a spectral analysis on. So that's a, that's a neat, neat facility. And this is a vibe table. Um, I thought you guys might be interested in this. It's basically a big speaker coil, right? And you put your spacecraft on it and you vibrate the heck out of it. So every rocket uh, in the world is unique. It pulls a certain amount of G-forces and it has a certain vibration profile. And you have to show that your spacecraft's not going to shake apart and, you know, parts of it are going to destroy the rocket. Or yeah, the you wouldn't want to be the one to take down a rocket. That, yeah. that, that seems like bad press for it's, Moorhead. It's and... bad press <laughs> and then it's just not a... So do you configure your shape table for the rocket yeah. you plan to ride yeah. on? That's interesting. Yep, so there's a, a computer that holds all the rocket profiles, the vibration profiles for every rocket we ride on. And then it shakes it exactly, pulls exactly uh, the same G-forces and vibration profile that the rocket does. So basically with these three things, you kind of just pull apart different elements of the traumas of space. Yeah, yeah, we try to break the spacecraft. Go to great lengths, two or three years to build it, and then we try every conceivable way to break it. Yeah. Test, test, test. Yeah. Try to break it. That's right. Yeah. So uh, shake and bake and radiate. Right. <laughs> shake, bake, and radiate. Yeah. <laughs> that seems you should put that on a shirt. Yeah, it, it's a, yeah. I can't watch when we do it. The vibe, the whole building shakes when you're in the vibe table. I bet. Oh, well, wow. you can see, you can get an idea because it generates so much heat. We have to have a, a yeah. giant uh, air cooler. You have to rally out of here somehow. Pull the, the heat away from it. Yeah. But, uh, and we provide services, uh, commercial services for other small companies and universities that don't have their own facilities. They'll bring the spacecraft here and we'll test it for them. And then students do the testing, write the procedures, write the test reports, and do the analysis. Great experience for the students. Experience, experience, experience. Yeah, hands-on stuff. And this is where we're going to be. This is what the rest of the 21st century is going to be about. I, I think so. So with the miniaturization of spacecraft, you can fly them in constellations. And that's what everybody's doing now is, is instead of flying, you know, we can, we can build one for a few million dollars instead of, you know, $500 million. So you can fly 100 of them for the same cost. And they don't have the same capabilities, but now you got a distributed network. So, so now you can kind of get even more out of them by having... By think of it as a distributed system rather than a consolidated uh, uh, legacy system, exactly. And it just gives you greater spatial covers and temporal covers. There, there's a company in California called Planet, Planet Labs, and they build satellites just like ours, and they're Earth imagers. And uh, what they do is they provide imagery for first responders for like flood areas or fire monitoring, uh, that kind of thing. Like when Google is way out of date. Exactly. So Google, I mean, if you look at a Google map of your, you know, your backyard, it might be three months old, right? Mm -hmm. Well, that doesn't help if you're, you know, trying to fight a fire. Fight a fire. Or exactly. deal with the aftermath of so, the flood. Or Google so, image I had in my house that had my old car that yeah. I had previously. Oh, yeah. In the picture, yeah. So yeah. Planet has uh, several hundred spacecraft on orbit at any time. And they can have a spacecraft overhead anywhere in the world in 15 minutes or less. And start imaging. And start imaging. That's so true. you get that, that data quickly. And so they're CubeSats just like ours. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool stuff.